Greetings, human. We wanted to take a moment to remind you of a few things. Please subscribe to the podcast and write a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Subscribing to and liking stuff is great and all, but what is even better than those things? That's right, sharing. Please share a link to the podcast to friends out of college, maybe someone you know who recently got a promotion, or even a demotion. You can even share a link to any newborn babies you happen to know. We also have a request out on Facebook for terrifying holiday party stories, which may land your story in an upcoming episode. Thanks for listening. And now, three, two, one, go. We don't have to start yet. Okay. I think we should. I think we should start. You do edit this, don't you? No, not very much. We try to just do normal editing. (laughs) Like, seriously, like, if you you (laughs) blank out and you're like, oh, shit, then just Pause. pause and then start your thought over and I will take that out unless it's really funny and then we'll, and then we'll leave it in. <laughs> this is We still want you to be our friend though afterwards so we won't leave anything too embarrassing. Welcome to the Professional Humans podcast where we already have our guest with his head in his hands crying <laughs> to kick off this episode. Uh, but for reals, this is Ellie Rader. And I'm Danger Josh. (laughs) And we're here with Joseph Patini. And Joseph's background is in project management um, for creative projects, primarily branding and package design, right? That's all true. Uh, And he spent almost 12 years at a company uh, before being laid off and put in the position of finding a new career trajectory, trajectory and purpose. Uh, So we're going to be hearing about the challenges and the decisions that he made uh, to get where he's at now and find out what advice he has for those looking at, um, I'm going to do air quotes, encore careers. Uh, We know this is a topic relevant to many in the last year, specifically here in the Twin Cities because of thousands of corporate layoffs at some of our local Fortune 100 and 500 companies. So there's a lot of people right now that are in the boat that you had been in, but you're not in that boat anymore, right? Crossing my fingers. Crossing the fingers. <laughs> Let me start with the question because this phrase I hadn't heard of before, encore careers, is that phrase, are you familiar with it? And is it, does it sound fancy to you or is it totally shitty sounding? It sounds a little fancy to me. It sounds... A bit like gilding an unpleasant situation. Yeah. I kind of thought it was nice. I'm not sure it's... It's less fancy. I'm not sure it's quite the way I would describe the situation. But but for tonight, let's go with it. Let's go with fancy. (laughs) Let's go with fancy. I like it. Um, I have another first question. That That was question zero, I guess. But I noticed that... So the first episode we recorded, we tried coffee, and it was in the morning, and we weren't that great at it. And then the second episode, we drank whiskey. Mm-hmm. And then the third episode, we drank gin. And well, now, you drank gin, and I drank whiskey again. Oh. In this episode, we there are three of us, and we each have... I have a gin, Joseph has a whiskey, and Josh has a coffee. Back to coffee. Bringing it all around. Full circle. I don't even know what we're going to drink next time. 
Arnold Palmer's. Juice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Juice. Okay. Can you talk to us a little bit about your transition out of uh, the company? Was it a surprise to you? Um, and looking back on it, was it a catalyst for positive change in your life or was it just a pain in the ass? Yes to all of those. And I'll try to go through that one step at a time. Yeah. It wasn't really a surprise because there had been a couple of previous rounds of huge layoffs mm -hmm. at this company. And I had dodged the bullet a couple of times, but everyone knew that the next one was going to be pretty drastic and severe. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like it was my time. And as it turned out, I was right. I had about four months notice of that. Wow. Which was interesting. And I didn't have a finite end date during that four months. I just knew the end date was coming. Okay. So there was a little bit of uncertainty as to when I should really start preparing and looking and when they first told us about it I didn't know what or if the buyout packages would be sure so you didn't know when the clock was gonna start running I out. did not at all Wow. and it was how long were it was that how long were you in that limbo I was in that limbo almost 90 days Wow that's a long time after the layoff did happen did you like wait to look for something new? Did you do, cause that's something that I saw a lot that people will commonly do, especially when they've been at a place as long as you have. Um, or it'll be like, I'm gonna take a break and then I'll go back into taking a look. I did take a break because I had what I thought and still think was a pretty generous exit mm. package. Sure. They didn't just shut the door on any of us. That's they, cool. You had like a year, right? It was close to it. All told, I had just about nine months nice. paid vacation. And the last <laughs> month of my employment, I didn't particularly have any duties other than <laughs> to wander the hall and have coffee yeah. at Caribou. So. What was that like? That was really frustrating. Yeah, because you're kind of a busy person. I love being busy, and I love being part of creative teams and I was writing strategic <clears throat> briefs and design briefs for the brands that I worked with and once I stopped having that input and I would see things transpiring and there was no place for me uh, to comment or to say wait a minute there's a history behind what you're trying to do that's going to make this irrelevant or unsuccessful but at that point there was just no room for my opinion so right it was kind of a dead man walking situation so did you just sit in your cube and look for jobs i did a little bit of that i did more seriously going to whatever meetings i could and contributing where i could just to keep a sense of community and to nice. at least mm -hmm. feel like, you know, I was making some kind of contribution as long as I was breathing the air there. Nice. 
you have a great community of support, a, uh, a lot of great friends and um, supportive people in your life, uh, at least from what I can tell. A lot of that is in the music business. It's uh, true. And playing music. So how did that play into getting you through it? Did you rely on music to get you through it? Was it a good outlet? Because you lost some of your creative uh, output when you lost this job, right? It's true. And the first thing that I thought of when I knew I was going to have to do a career change was going back to photography. Oh. And I took part of my buyout and bought some really nice gear. Yeah. Bought what I thought I would need. Um, worked with some friends that were shooting weddings, did a few projects with them, and thought about how I could carve out a niche in town, which is kind of a crowded market. It's but, kind of crowded right now, yeah. But I, ha I have a different eye for things, I think, and I had some ideas. I was actually working towards that, and a couple of different things happened. Music is always, for me, not any sort of big financial payoff. There's not a lot of money to be made in music in this town unless you're constantly doing corporate work. Mm -hmm. And I've done my share of that, but at that particular point, it was kind of thin mm -hmm. in general. And I had a friend who offered me the chance to train in to the restaurant business mm -hmm. and I jumped at it immediately yeah doing what front of house oh. cool serving, greeting learning a little bit about service um, he wanted to teach me everything in and out with the idea that a couple of years down the road I go on to his management team yeah but also still be working the floor sure and I probably shouldn't say who this is you can if you want. I can. It was Tim Niver. Okay. Of Strip Club in St. Oh, Barnett. yeah. Oh, nice. So I was the actually... The home of the tomahawk. Mm -hmm. We had the tomahawk once. It's just ah. a plate with a giant, just a, what is it, 48 ounces? Yeah, it was 48 ounces of deliciousness. I think oh, I had about, right. I like I had about 30 right. of those ounces myself. Yeah, I was like, can I just have this little stuff? You can go to town on the tomahawk. Yeah, they're not shy about providing you oh, food man. at their places. Sorry, go keep going. It's all right. So I was starting to really get into that yeah. and enjoy it and feel the rhythm of it all and I felt an affinity towards it from years and years of playing music Being in bars and restaurants yeah. anyway and I thought well that's a nice little transition mm -hmm. but right in the middle of that my wife who was the bearer of the health insurance stopped working full-time and had to go to contract work with no health insurance. Yeah. My carryover insurance from my previous job was ending. Mm -hmm. And can we talk about this? I'm diabetic. Mm -hmm. You can talk so about whatever you want. I had to have some sort of health coverage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And with her working contract or freelance and me 
working for not an awesome amount of money yeah. mm -hmm. training into the restaurant business. In an industry that's notorious for not having health care. Notorious. I don't know if notorious is the right word. I, known for? I think uh, Teen Iver would be okay with being known as notorious for other reasons, but... Maybe not. Well, maybe not for health. Um, you know, most, most of the restaurant industry has some kind of health care. I don't know that if you have a pre-existing condition, it's the best mm -hmm. thing, um, because it's not like, it's not necessarily like corporate level healthcare. But this is right at the time when you care, Minsure, whatever. Yeah, but it was it was starting to gel. Mm -hmm. So the world, it was not quite ready for me to jump sure. into, mm -hmm. you know. And I want to back up and say that you know Tim. And JD and that team, they take awesome care of their people. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And had it not been for what I thought was a pressing need to be able to afford my insulin every mm -hmm. month, mm -hmm. I think I might still be there. Cool. Yeah. But instead, I looked at the situation and I knew where I could find a job back in project management in the printing industry, which is not what I had been doing, so it meant not as much of a creative situation at all, mm -hmm. but a language that I spoke and understood and something I could do really well. And I went for it, and that's been about two and a half years now. And you're at, awesome. at the same place. I'm at the same place. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges that you faced in seeking that job, it sounds like the the at the strip club you you know you had a relationship with the owners that just kind of happened. It was an interesting and exciting pursuit. But when you decided to go back into uh, something more familiar with where you had been, how did you? What challenges did you have? I think the first word that comes to me is disappointed because I had hoped to not go back into a corporate environment. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was disappointing that I felt that I had to do it at that point. I didn't feel like I had a choice. Okay. I think right now, if the same situation came along, which I certainly hope it doesn't, I might approach it differently and take some more risks. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there are at least some healthcare options. Mm. Through the state. Through the state, even with the diminished income that I'd have, mm -hmm. would make me feel more hopeful about that. Do you think of your current job as a career, or do you have, I don't know what the word for it is, but like P PTSD about committing to a company? No, I am actually really comfortable there at this point. Yeah. Once I made the mental shift from the more creative direction aspect of what I had been doing to definitely manage the project in that really traditional sense, you know, where you're collecting components, you're getting people and teams together, and you're making the trains run on time, <laughs> which is a little counter to my general disposition. <laughs> Making the trains run on time. Making the trains run on Yet time. Yeah, you're a project manager by trade. Fascinating, isn't it? 
I was supposed to teach high school English. That's what I was in college for. And I took... I think everybody was supposed to teach Everyone was supposed to. I, I was determined, but I took a two-week winter break job at a printing house in Oakland when I was very young, and I never left. And I just... <laughs> Stay. I stayed on that side of the fence in printing mm -hmm. until the time that I went to Global Monolith and nice. was able to leverage that and my design knowledge. Yeah. Okay, so there was a time that getting a job and finding a career was... People thought of it as sort of a... I need to put my time in, I need to get a pension, I need to build up a 401k, this is, I need to find the place that I'm um, suited for and I'm going to retire from here. And now, it's more and more uh, people do career hopping. I don't even know if you can call it career hopping, just job hopping. Every couple of years trying new things. But the employers still want younger employees and employees who don't job hop. But I don't know if that exists anymore. So did you encounter any of this mentality and what kind of mentality did you encounter with employers that you spoke to before with, you? With employers that I spoke to before I landed where I am, Yeah. it seemed to me that they wanted it both ways. Yeah. Completely wanted it both ways. They wanted people young that they could bring in at a lower salary and I would say at best and I, I'm thinking this is very reasonable notion on their part that people want some reward for the time and effort they spend training people mm -hmm. I think that that's a contract you enter into when somebody is going to say alright I'm going to teach you to be an associate producer or a coder or whatever and you take the benefit of that training and you put your time in and then when you feel like it's time for something else you can go but I think there's more of a tug on the employer side because they may not be ready to see that talent leave and have to start the cycle again mm -hmm. on the employee side I don't feel any more like there's the implicit loyalty mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the employers that I grew up with, where you felt as if if you did a good job for a company and you wanted to stay there and have that be your career, that that was, that was your option totally. Mm -hmm. You could leave when you decided to after 30 years or whenever it was. And I know so many people that did that. My father did that. Mine too. E yeah. Everybody's fathers did that mm -hmm. and mothers. My mom did. But, My dad did. My mom was all over the place. Wow. There are a lot of people I have known that after leaving a job, they go for... Not necessarily career training, but maybe some coaching on finding um, their own strengths again, like um, going through training models where you're finding not necessarily, I want a job like the job I used to do, 
but more like here are the core strengths that I have and what else out there in the job market can I do that is that would draw on those strengths and it seems like you've kind of done that did you do any did you like get a coach did you do any training or anything or research to find those strengths or is that just inherent knowledge well I did a little bit of it on an ad hoc basis but I also through St. Thomas University took their little mini masters they call it in project Mm -hmm. management because I had the opportunity to do that as part of my buyout and I was like do I want to go do this really traditional thing can I do it is it going to drive me nuts (laughs) the rigidity of it and I thought well that kind of immersion into it and seeing what's really involved in the discipline will tell me whether I can handle it one way or the other. And Mm -hmm. it turned out I was comfortable with it, which actually surprised me. There you go. (laughs) Are you still playing music during the week? Do you stay up too late and then go to work the next day? I don't stay up as late as I used to. Okay. But, yeah, I practice my wife goes to bed much earlier than I think is reasonable. What time is that? Before 10. Oh, okay. And that's about when my... <laughs> Get in the eye. That's about when my mind really starts working At again. At 10? After, after leaving work and decompressing for a couple of hours. And then it gets to be 10 and things are quieting down and then that's... That's when, when you go to bed. That, no, that's when I start feeling No, musical. that's bedtime. You may well be that's, right. That's showtime for you, right? That's showtime for me. If I'm out playing with a band, by the time you set up and play, you know, if you're in a club, 10, it's 10 o'clock when you start. Which is why I don't go to shows anymore, because that's bedtime. I go to fewer shows during the week, but I go to an awful lot of shows, just as an audience. And... I play as much as I can, Mm -hmm. and I'm lucky that I have a studio in my house, and I can go downstairs, and my wife and the dogs can go upstairs, Mm -hmm. and I can play, even if it's for half an hour, Mm -hmm. that I have that time and that space, and that makes a huge difference to me. (laughs) We went to a show in September, and it was during the day, and it was amazing and terrible because it was daytime so it was weird it was bright out and you know we were getting sunburned and it was hot it was outside but then it so that it was everything wrong with it but then we got to leave at 7 7 30 this is palomino yeah yeah well i mean everybody yeah. else left very late but we didn't stay for the headliners we didn't care about it. It's 7 o'clock. We were like, well, we, time to go. I like Trampled by Turtles, but it wasn't, I do worth, too. it wasn't worth staying around in that crowd for. We would have had to drive back from Shakopee. Shakopee? Whatever that tongue is. Yeah, I thought about going to that because there were 
two or three acts that I really wanted to see, but they were all early on, and they all would have done half an hour or 45 minutes. Which one's Calexico? Calexico, who were... They didn't. The, they did an hour. Yeah, they did an hour. I'm not... You got wrong. Still not sure it would have been worth okay. it. Okay. And Laura Marling and... Yeah, John, Father John Misty. I... I have not drunk that Kool-Aid. Oh. You I, need to join. You need to drink that you know, Aid. We'll make you, know, you some Kool-Aid. I won't say anything <laughs> negative about any musician. There's plenty of music for everyone to love. That's all I have to say. I, I would have wanted to see Dr. Dog because a friend of mine is the drummer. That's so, fair. That's fair. Actually, the son of a good friend. Mm. Right? We, ha- we, we were most psyched about Calexico and Father John Misty mm-hmm. and we ran into some friends and I was like Father John Misty is about to play it's going to be on that stage and it starts in a few minutes and we're going over there but watch it and she's like okay I'm here to see Dr. Dog but okay and <laughs> she's texting me through the whole set what's wrong with you <laughs> what's wrong with him why do you like this music does Josh like this? <laughs> does, does Josh like this? He's hilarious. a better person than you. Huh? It was hilarious. Like yeah, I get cracked up every other song. It's all like, fake. It's so hilarious. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, anyway. it's still good. Anyway, yeah. back to the... And now, back to the show. Can <laughs> <laughs> we get off topic a little bit? Fine with me. My whole life is up top. Our, po- our podcast is just like real life. I want to go back to the Encore career thing because I'm fascinated by this, and I want to ask you some questions about okay. it. Okay. So I came across it, um, and I thought it was interesting because I started to make a list of stereotypes, the common stereotypes against hiring older workers. Mm-hmm. Not that you're old. You're not old, but, you know. I'm older. You're I older. I think there's a lot of stereotypes, so I was making a list that... There's this organization called Encore, what's it called? Encore.org. Their mission is advancing second acts for the greater good, uh, which I thought was cute. Um, what if it's a fourth act? Do they advance that still? No, it's the second act. It's the Encore. What if it's a double Encore? <laughs> uh, anyway... Um, so it turns out there's a like there's a whole movement around this because the idea is that one of the here I'll go through the stereotypes um, more likely to be burned out resistant to technology you always have the most current technology you're not resistant to technology at all are you not even remotely not even remotely uh, need more time off due to illness I think that's kind of a wash you could say the same thing about young people with hangovers with hangovers or with ch- young children the and needing time off yep. for children's activities there are plenty of young it's, people in my office that are off all the time and i'm like come on you play sick you play sick people <laughs> <laughs> play I mean, through the pain you know one one person's mea three-day forced holiday to take care of their children is another person's three-day flu. I the mean, it all balances out. The respectable employee would work from home on those days. I'm pointing at myself, but I realize nobody can see me. Uh, the next one is poor at working with younger workers. I've seen that. Uh-huh. 
Get off my lawn. The get off my lawn syndrome. Get off my lawn. You punk kids. You don't know. But it also also goes hand in hand with, you know, what does this old fart have to teach me? Well, but that goes back to something you said earlier uh, when you said you saw people making mistakes that you knew were mistakes because you had seen it getting tried before and you knew the history. Well, and the context of that is that after 11 years working with very specific and really well-known brands, mm-hmm. there's a point where you take on a stewardship of that. Right. Where that brand is as real as any other person to you. It you have has, intuition about it. You have intuition, and there's a personality, and there are things that have been done and mistakes that have been made and evolution and people without that longer context sometimes just miss Mm -hmm. their target Mm -hmm. and that's the role that somebody that has the institutional or brand knowledge Mm -hmm. can fulfill is to say wait a minute, have you considered this? And let me tell you, you know, let me tell you how it was in my day. Let me tell you, before kids. we Before we had those darn pagers. But, <laughs> or, or more accurately, here's what happened when we tried to extend this brand in a direction that consumers didn't believe. Right. So, advice. If you were back in the situation that you were put in when you were let go, or for anyone who's in that position, if they find themselves in that position now, what advice would you have for them? Number one thing to remember, I think, and I struggled with this a little bit, but I held on to it, is it's not personal. It's really not personal anymore. It wasn't you. Mm-hmm. When I experienced that and I went to the first big meeting of all of the other people that were going at the same time so that we could hear about our options and benefits and training, et cetera, and I looked around in that room and I saw people that to me were the damn franchise mm-hmm. sitting there. I'm like, I don't feel so bad now. Those people made this place work and they're getting let go. Mm-hmm. I'm cool. You know? mm-hmm. And you have to you hold are on. You cool, Joseph. Well, thank you, darling. <laughs> so are you. But you have to hold on to that. You have to hold on to your integrity and hear my air quotes, sense of self-worth and all of that. Mm-hmm. But if you lose sight of that, you're never going to convincingly get into a new position with any sure because I, 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 I think yeah you have to have that confidence and you have to have that calmness oh yeah and you know that's something that that was something I learned at the monolith that took me a long time to learn in my life 
was that there is nothing in the business world worth getting angry about There's or no upset about. There, there are no babies being killed. <laughs> People will tell you otherwise, you know, about whatever product or bottled water or whatever. But, you know, in the long run, you know, whatever is happening at your office that day is going to be over very soon and mm -hmm. forgotten. And I learned never to take it personally again and never to let it upset me. And that was something that I emphasized when I interviewed for this job that I have. I said, look, I've been through enough that I don't get upset anymore. I care, but I don't care enough to get angry and you're not paying me enough to get so stressed out that I lie awake at four in the morning wondering about work the next day because it's meaningless to do that. It mm -hmm. serves nobody, especially yourself, to operate on that stress level. And if you are on that stress level, then you're in the wrong place and you need mm -hmm. to do something else. That's good and that was a really hard lesson. Joseph, you're going to be partake of the tradition. This is the second instance because mm -hmm. we're new, but it's still a tradition. It's called the random questions jar, and you have to pull a question and answer it, and then you get to put a question back in when you go. I have a piece of paper here for you for your question. Thank you. What does it say? Why do you think people were so unsettled by Twitter making fave a heart instead of a star? Twitter to me has just become outrage of the moment. And it was just something I think for people to fall back on before the Starbucks coffee cup came along. <laughs> They got that we forgot about it as soon as the cup thing happened, though. But exactly. you can't say bad things about Twitter because I went, uh, I went to Christina's yoga class last weekend and it was amazing. And at the end of class, she goes, How do you know Joseph? <laughs> she just asked me, and we were sitting there trying to figure out how, and I didn't know. And I think the answer is Twitter. The answer was Twitter because. There was a time when you met IRL friends. You met people on Twitter that became IRL friends, and some of my closest friends I met on Twitter. That's absolutely true. I can name a dozen people mm -hmm. that I count as really close friends that I met through one or two at first, and then meeting their friends, and then these dinner parties mm -hmm. that had a hashtag. Mm -hmm. I remember them. We should try that again. We should try that again, but I'm not putting that out on me That's either fine. for anyone else I know else what you're talking steal. about. I know you know what I'm talking <laughs> about. I long for those days. Mm -hmm. I think that's a wrap, Joseph. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks again for listening, humans. As always, you can find us on Twitter at ProHumans. Now on our shiny new Facebook page, ProHumans Podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash prohumans, 
or go the easy route and log on to prohumans.com where you can find all that stuff and more. This is Danger wishing you a professional week.